0: With all due respect, Ryan, what's what specifically was the misevaluation that led you to choose Trubisky over Mahomes and Watson? And what specifically have you learned from that mistake that will help you get it right this
1: time? Yeah, you know, I think again, um, I get the question, uh Mark. Yeah, Mark.
2: bears GM, Ryan Pace and Mark Potash right here. I'm Mark Brody. Here with you until noon on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Thanks for being with me. Hope you set your clock back. Well, nobody actually really has to set their clocks forward anymore because it's typically automatic. I always, it's like the, it's like a little time clock fairy in the middle of the night. You just hope it happens. I was paranoid. I didn't know what was going to happen with my phone overnight. But here we are. It's 10.03. On a Sunday morning, so you could set your clock. And Mark, we're going to be talking Bears in moments, one hour from right now. My guy, Les Grobstein, will be on to talk about college basketball because he knows college hoops and he knows all different versions of the Illini. So we will debate them coming up here in just a little bit. Joining me now, though, let's talk a lot of Bears with Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun-Times. He joins me now. What's going on, Potsy? How are you? I'm great, Mark. How you doing? I'm doing well. Let's start with the the information that started with Adam Schefter earlier this week and his tweet saying that the Bears are going to be saving just over $23 million of salary cap space this week by converting the 2021 base salaries of Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson, and Cody Whitehair into signing bonuses per sources by Schefter. He says this move will give the Bears more firepower heading into the free agent week do is that the case is this is this the move that opens the bears up the possibilities or was this something that they had to do
0: well it's, it's something they had to do firepower is is um a relative term uh in the in the current market uh they're not going to have what you would consider firepower they they actually have more moves that they have to do i mean this gives them i mean this was expected this gives them these were really the expected moves. This, this gets them kind of out of the hole and gives them at least a little bit of work room, But they need to do much more. Uh, we're waiting this week. Uh, I think the, the big key will be to see what happens with Kyle Fuller uh, and Akeem Hicks. And, and once they get those situations solved, uh, then we'll know exactly, kind not exactly, but then we'll have a much better idea where they're heading in free agency. Because until then, with Allen Robinson currently at an $18 million, uh, uh, tag, they're... Uh, uh, they're going to be in a tough spot uh, against a league. That's going to have a lot more money uh, than they do. So it's going to be, it'll be an interesting, interesting free agency uh, uh, episode, I guess for Ryan Pace. Is it possible
2: that the bears will have to say goodbye to both Hicks and Fuller, or would it be one or the other?
0: I think it would be one or the other. They could probably redo Fuller's younger; they could probably redo his con- or extend his contract. Actually, um, it's tough to do. It's tougher to do with Hicks because uh, he's thirty-two. He's coming after uh, off of an okay season. Um, he should be better with Eddie Goldman back. Uh, you assume that, um, but but it would, I, I'm assuming that it will be one or the other. <coughs> the, excuse me. The only question is: Can is there any way to work out both? That was that was kind of the question I wanted to know uh, when we talked to Ryan Pace uh, last because. You know, Hicks, you can say, well, you know, he, you know, I can't, what do you have, three sacks none in the last, like, 13 games last year? He wasn't as yeah. effective as he's been, but he's such a huge part of that defense. And, you know, Kyle Fuller's not as good a player without Akeem Hicks, so you got to consider that, too. So you got two questions. Can you sign Hicks, and will Hicks be this, uh, with the same player he was, like, two years ago uh, with Goldman back in? Those are two kind of unknowns at this point. Mark Potash, Mark Grody, we
2: both cover the Bears, and we're talking about the Chicago Bears right now. All right, Alan Robinson gets the the franchise tag. Do you think that they will get a a multi-year deal
0: done by July fifteenth? Still with Alan Robinson? I think they almost have to. Um, he sounds like uh, he's heading uh, uh, into the Elshon Jeffrey territory of just being so unhappy that you know he'll boycott the voluntary. Part of the off-season program, and just really not happy with it, and um, and it's kind of unfortunate. This is what we talked about, uh, addressed uh, the last two times we've talked to Ryan Pace is well, how do you deal with an unhappy player on a team, you know, a player who embodies the uh, the culture that you you know that you you treasure. So, um, uh, so I, yeah, so I don't know. That doesn't sound like it's going in a great direction, but uh, the Bears have played the card they had to play, and and now it's up to Allen Robinson. Will he sit out? I don't think he'll do that, but I just don't think it's a good thing for him to not be happy. And I and I think their best bet, I think that I think that one of their priorities should be to create room, uh, if not for first, for obviously for a major quarterback if they could ever pull that off, but also secondary to, to keep Allen Robinson happy, and also that would help their salary cap situation if they get him signed to, decide to do a long-term deal.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. Where where are you mentioned major quarterbacks? So we're gonna go there. What where are you? At this moment, ten oh seven on a Sunday morning, on the Bears landing a major quarterback.
0: I don't know. You know, it's funny when the first when 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 the Russell Wilson thing first came up. When I wrote about it, I, I mocked the whole thing. I just I, I literally said that it was the football gods just teasing Bears fans with these, you know, <laughs> with these possibilities of great quarterbacks uh, uh, that they could get, but really had no shot. But I'll be honest. After listening to some of the chatter or non-chatter, it's not so much that there's there's inklings uh uh, or or, or, you know that that the bears could get um russell wilson it's that there's nothing on the other side there's not there's nothing that's indicating that seattle and russell wilson are 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 any closer than they were uh three weeks ago so that makes me think that wow this he could actually be traded and if he could you know one of the four teams is already out of the box with the with the cowboys signing Dak prescott so you know now it's one in three excuse me so you never know. I'm not expecting it to happen, but I will say this: the one thing you say what you want about Ryan Pace, you know, and him, uh, you, know, be, you know, being the the, the aggressive uh, guy he is, kind of uh, led them to the biggest mistake he's ever made. But it also gives him a shot. His aggressiveness also gives him a shot at either of those quarterbacks if they become available. So I'm not ruling at this point. I've kind of changed a little bit. I'm not ruling it out, but I'm not expecting it. I still say, I still say the Bears will have a will end up with a quarterback who will be not appreciably better. Uh, Than Nick Foles in their current offense, <clears throat> and the only wild card there, I think, would be Sam Darnold. He's the one guy that I can't figure out which, if he if he uh, refutes that point, because he's a guy who failed with a bad team in the Jets, but with a guy who supposedly is a really good quarterbacks guy, um, so it's hard, you know. So, so it's hard to say where he stands. Is he a guy who has all this potential in a better offense, which the Bears don't have, or is he just another guy like Marcus Mariota and all the rest of the guys who's just a uh, you know a f- a failed first-round pick? So, uh, but in general, say, I say, like I said, I think they're most if they can't get the dream scenario, they've got to make uh, they've got to get an offense that a quarterback can survive in, and and uh, it doesn't matter whether it's Nick Foles. Or even Jameis Winston, or Marcus Mariota, or Ryan Fitzpatrick, whoever it is, it's going to be the offense that makes the quarterback, unless they get one of these dream scenarios, which is Wilson, Watson, or one of those top uh, top draft picks.
2: Yeah, and I, I've been hearing a lot about Sam Darnold from a lot of people too. Like that name keeps popping up, and we haven't—I haven't heard it from anybody from the Bears or management in any of the contacts that I've made, but. But Darnold's name does pop up a lot. That's that's very interesting. I, I I worry about taking a chance on a guy like that, but I don't know. The, this obviously has to be vetted very closely and very carefully. What do you think is going to happen? Well, what with... I'm
0: saying, what I'm saying is, Mark, I think yeah, he's the one guy sure. who might have who at least has the potential upside to be much better than Foles. The other guys, I just don't think. I just don't. I just don't think they do in the current Bears offense. Darnold's kind of a, 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 a an X factor, and you know, Gase is – either you know when he was when gase was with the bears he was a guy who made quarterbacks now he's like he's blaming being blamed for ruining the guy so i mean it just it's so hard to figure out i don't i'm not a film watcher i don't really know the particulars just based on what i've seen uh it could go either way so he's the one guy to watch for even see i've even seen his name bandied about in a three-way deal that would get the bears wilson you know because Seattle needs a quarterback, and they want someone better than Foles, well, Darnold might be that kind of guy for them. Who knows? Sounds wild to me, but, you know, in the NFL today, you never know.
2: Oh, man. And one thing I've been depending on, too, to that end is that that don't underestimate egos. And and when I say egos, I mean that of Pete Carroll to to do it his way because that dude's got a lot of power with Seattle, and he started to do things more his way towards the end of last year and running the football more and wanting defense. That's one thing, Potsy. that you don't, and you know this man from covering all these years, don't underestimate the ego of a powerful NFL personnel and head coach in the NFL.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, Mark, you know, I, I love Pete Carroll. I've always liked the way he coaches. I love the, the aggressiveness and just his open-mindedness. You know, Pete Carroll's open-mindedness is what got him Russell Wilson. They had already signed Matt Flynn as like their number one guy, and he That's gave right. a chance to a third-round draft pick. Immediately, as from the very first preseason game, he immediately gave him a shot to win the job, and that and that's how Russell Wilson became Russell Wilson. So now it's kind of turned 180 degrees uh, the other way. But uh, but the point is, I guess uh, uh, with with uh, with Pete Carroll, you know, I like Pete Carroll a lot, but it, uh, but it also seemed like just from my cursory look at the Seahawks, is that Russell Wilson's the only thing holding that offense together. I mean, you take him away, and that offensive line is worse than the Bears. I mean, so. Um, so, so I don't know. I'm not sure what, it, but you're right. I, to your point, his ego it, 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 it would not surprise me if that made him think that he can make a quarterback, you know, out of anybody, and uh, and uh, or find a quarterback, whatever. But so yeah, so definitely, yeah. Like I said, that definitely. I'm I'm not ruling that out. It definitely could happen. The way these things go in the NFL with this new empowerment the players feel, um, kind of NBA like. Um, uh, yeah, it certainly could, it certainly could happen. What do you think is going to happen with Mitchell Trubisky this week? Well, I'm not sure if he'll be signed immediately because It'll be interesting, though. I really don't know. I really yeah. thought about it, but because I've always said, like, I think there's a team out there that really thinks the Bears messed up. I, there's probably more than a, one team out there that thinks the Bears just didn't develop him properly, and here's a guy who, in the right situation, uh, can really be good. So if, he's, if, if he snapped up quickly, that would not surprise me at all, because I've always felt like there's got at least one team, maybe more, that really thinks that uh, this guy could be something. Um, you know, it's got to be a it's got to be a really good situation. I don't doubt that it could happen, but that's kind of the interesting facet. You know, people have said like, okay, goodbye, Mitch Trubisky, it's over now. But really, the Bears Mitchell Trubisky story doesn't really end until we see what he does next, and we, and and we see if you know who's was it a, was it the fault of of uh, of uh, Ryan Pace for drafting a bad quarterback, or was it uh was, was it the fault of Matt Nagy for not developing a good quarterback? So so that's kind of. Uh, uh, the epilogue, I guess, to the to the Trubisky story that we're still waiting to see. But to answer your question, I, th- I guess thinking about it, I think he could be stamped up pretty quickly. because I do think someone's going to see him as a, as a real find. And and right or wrong, I can't blame people for thinking that based on what we've seen.
2: Yeah, I mean it. It's it's going to be really interesting. I guess my here's my take on that is that you know Matt Nagy's had certainly had his faults with. Some of the play calling and some of the play design and and all. I mean, we know all the issues. However, it seems to me, and I and I know Patsey that Trubisky was kind of obviously letting some of his disappointment down, and you know, answering a question about why didn't they do this with the offense later when they simplified things, and he's like, I have no idea. The fact is, is that that Matt Nagy thought that Trubisky could take in a ton of information and run the entire playbook. He had that kind of faith in him. I guess that was the mistake that the Bears coaching staff made thinking and thinking that he could be that quarterback for this offense and then at the very end they they were just like, "Okay, screw it. We have to do what we have to do." So, uh, of course, it's on Nagy, but he also had faith to a fault in Trubisky.
0: Yeah, it would be interesting to hear uh, if you would give an honest answer to, uh, you know, how how it compared what he thought of Trubisky when he got here to what he ended up with, because I think that you're exactly right. I think he thought he had a lot more to work with than he did and saw a quarterback who had a lot of natural uh, ability, but you know, quarterbacking today, it's, it's, you know, it's reading defenses going through your progressions and finding the open guy late. Those three things you got to be able to do besides all the physical stuff. And I think, I think, uh, I think Matt Nagy was disappointed in all three, uh, in in, uh, in Trubisky, all three of those uh, parts of the game. Hey Potsy, do you get excited about the uh, NCAA tournament?
2: Are you a turn? You must be because you like to gamble, right?
0: Well, I do, but I don't like to gamble, like, recreationally. I'm like uh, – I'm a Vegas guy. You know, I'm a, when I'm on vacation, I, I can do it. But I, recreationally, I can't because I'm just too emotional. And just, you know, I would be, like, divorced in, like, three bets, you know, because I'm such a – I would go I go so crazy. The losses always hurt more. I lament the losses more than I celebrate the wins. I'm that kind of gambler. So I stay away from it. As much as I love it, I stay away from it. So, no, I don't. But – and I'm to be honest, I'm not a big on the NCAA tournament. I just – you know, I just, just don't think the quality of play is very good. I mean, I know it's an old man thought, but, you know, I remember, you know, we're going back to 15 years ago, and, like, Illinois is really good now. You know, I, to me, I look back and I see the 05 Illinois team would beat this team by 20 points. I mean, it wouldn't even be close. And so I see that the game has changed so much for a lot of reasons just overall i just don't think the play is very good it's i mean they're entertaining games because competition is competition but to answer your question no i'm not really into it and uh, frankly Mark i feel like i'm i I, do, I feel like i'm a little bit on an island in this i have i struggle watching games with no fans i just i don't get the mm. same enjoyment i think the fans are in all sports it's just a big factor in the game in the outcome of the games and a part of the enjoyment and i just I'm, i can't wait maybe it'll be a year whatever until we're back to normal and then I will enjoy watching sporting events because if I'm just if you're looking at the TV or whatever, channel surfing, I don't stop at a game anymore because, boy, those silent, the, the, when, it's, when there's no fans, it's just not the same for me. So, I don't know, That's kind of a weird take but because I, I don't hear very many people uh, echo that, but that's just the way it's been for me uh, watching games. So, I'll watch the NCAA tournament. I think it's a great. I'm curious to see how Illinois and Loyola do. Illinois could be a number one seed. Loyola is going to be a big threat as an eight, they're going to, you know, if they match up against Illinois, or eight versus one. That's going to be mm. gr- a great game. But, um, so uh, yeah, so I'm interested in from that aspect. But I have to admit, it's not the same as uh, as it was like uh, ten years ago. All right. So you said definitively that, and I agree
2: with you. I think I hadn't really thought about it, but 2005 Illini would whip the the 2021 Illini, and I I covered that team very closely. In '05, in their postseason run, and they did have stars, stars galore. What about the the 1989 Flying Illini? Where did they rank? Could they have beaten 05? And yeah, yeah, that wouldn't be or... close
0: either. That would really? be close either. Wait, wait yeah, so '89, '89
2: would? Create, so you're saying eighty The '89 Illini? I think, well, would crush
0: I don't know. It. 2005 was a really well. They played so well together. They passed so well. That was a special team. That was a team that did simple things like. Just you know, just passing to the three-point shooter or slip screens—just little simple things. They did it so well that I think they would be, they would be competitive against almost any team of any era. Frankly, they were just so good; it's amazing. It's, they didn't even win it. They didn't even win the tournament. I know that's how much the game has changed. But but eighty-nine, eighty-nine, likewise would dominate uh, today. It wouldn't even, it wouldn't even be close. But and I'm not. Well, I guess I am denigrating the game today. The game with because of AAU, because of a lot of things. Um, just just it's it's a more athletic game but it's just not as good a game in my opinion i think it's it's for the eye test i think if you watch the game now and watch like the flying Line i play or any team in that era michigan whoever uh i think you you, you the, the difference would be very noticeable
2: they played like pros in 89 i mean like nick anderson obviously a pro kendall gill a pro stephen bardo for a while a pro like the those you can't say that about the Illini today. Like you know, Io DeSumo is going to be a pro, and probably Kofi Coburn, but it's not like a, a slam dunk. And maybe Andre Curbelo to a different degree. But you knew those guys in '89 were going to be
0: NBA and and maybe even stars. And some of those support, not some, those supporting guys wouldn't even see the floor uh, in 05 or '89 they just wouldn't. I mean, there's just they're just not yeah. as good. I mean, I don't know. I, I, you need a basketball expert to explain why, but uh but I'm just going by the eye test what I see and I just don't think the game is as good. It's it's entertaining, I'll give you that. Um but uh but it's just I just don't think it the, the team if you're comparing teams, especially 89 and 05, to me there's there's no comparison. And Illinois is playing, but Illinois is playing very well. They they're really well coached yeah. and they're playing uh it's a really good Illinois team relative to the field. So you know, looking forward to the tournament from that aspect to see two, you know, a team and, and Loyola also with a the, with the chance to advance.
2: Well, don't you worry, Patsy. I've got a college basketball expert coming up at 11 o'clock this morning, and his name is Les Grobstein, and he will tell us all what's up. Can I hang on a line for that? That would be awesome. <laughs> you could t- feel free to call back. I would love to have you and Grobber on at the same time. So if you want to call oh, at man. 11 o'clock, I would. You got the you got the hotline number. You call Sean Anderson. You either want to get on hold or join the conversation. You are more than welcome. I would love it.
0: Well, I don't know. This is we we always like talking to Paul basketball. This is the fortieth anniversary of another one of those devastating losses. So oh, we would no. get on a bad we would get on a bad tangent right away that we oh, both no. would end up talking about endlessly. So I don't know. Is if that the St. Joe's right loss, St. Joe's? Uh, eighty-one. Yes, yes. Oh, oh uh, my God. God! Disastrous. But what yeah. an era! What an era into Paul basketball. That was great. I look well, I was forward talk, to hearing Les talk. Get him, get him to talk about DePaul and, and see – I'd love to hear what he – uh, Tyrone Corbin was under a that.
2: lot of – Tyrone Corbin was the – he was one of the better players of all – Teddy Grubb should have done more at that level. Oh, yeah, it's all coming, man. It's all coming. And I didn't realize that today. See, now – Yes, the 1981 DePaul Blue Demons are going to come up at 11 o'clock this morning. Thank you, Mark Potash. You've given me more fodder, great information on the Bears, and I'm sure I will talk to you very soon, my friend.
0: Sounds good, Mark. Thanks for having me on your show. Have a great day.
2: You too, man. That is the one and only Mark Potash talking about the Bears and some of his neuroses when it comes to gambling. He's too, he's too emotional. <laughs> he's never lost a 12-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, we, like, I would say that 12 years old is like the wheelhouse of sports fandom where you are innocent, you are passionate, you are emotional. It's so meaningful, and it hurts when your team loses and a team that you don't like wins. It's just like, it's so, sports is so serious when you're 12. I don't think Potash has lost it, nor has Les Grobstein, clearly. Like, that is, like, stunted sports growth, which is good in this case. Like, you want to maintain that innocence. And, like, there's so many people in my business, and I'm guilty of it to some degree as well, we become a little jaded from seeing how the meals are made and being backstage and it being our jobs. Les Grobstein is 69. Nice. And he is, he's not really jaded. Unless you ask him about robot umpires, then he becomes a little bit jaded. But that's a different thing. That, that's more uh, old school, more purist in, in Les Grobstein. But we'll all get into that in about uh, 25 minutes from now when Les Grobstein joins me. I want to do something next. And that I want to relitigate something from the White Sox from last year in Game 3 of the playoffs and I'm going to use the White Sox former pitching coach, Don Cooper, to help me out a little bit with this because I need to get it off my chest. It's next on Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. Is that the trainer? I believe it is for the White Sox with the manager. And Garrett Crochet is, I think, coming out of this game. Huh. Well, that is a shock after the dominance we've seen from him against two hitters and a blow to the White Sox. The young White Sox phenom, that was from October 1st, right? 2020 last year, game three of White Sox A's and their playoff series. I'm Mark Grody, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score here until noon. I've been told, by the way, that Les Grobstein has pushed us back to 1140 is when Les will be on. I don't know what's going on, but you know what? We'll find out when <laughs> when Les comes on. <laughs> I bet there's like a, a good reason. Like there's probably a good entertaining story as to why Les is, is pushing. I gave him the prime time 11 o'clock slot, you know, top of the hour. He wants to chewhorn in at 1140. This is going to be good. So 1140 make an appointment with your radio to listen to Grody and Grober. Um, anyway, getting back to the to the White Sox as as you I, I'm sorry to do this to you White Sox fans because it was a kind of a, it was a rough game for the White Sox. The the White Sox lost game 3 to Oakland 6 to 4 on the Chad Pinder two-run hit, great Pat Summerall name. Sox used nine pitchers that day. Remember? Dunning, Crochet, Bummer, Hoyer, Rodon, Foster, Marshall, Cordero. Of course, Cordero. Calame. Um And it was rough for many, like some of the guys that were good that year. Cody Hoyer allowed a two-run homer. Matt Foster was a mess. Walked in two guys. Evan Marshall. He gave up the hit to Pinder, right? Yeah. Um, and... Don Cooper was on the score the other day, and, and there were so many great levels to this interview with Danny Parkins and Matt Spiegel. It was terrific by those two. Cooper was great. Those two guys were great. It was like, it was awesome. I've listened to it a couple times already, and maybe we'll play a big chunk from it later on. But right now, this is Don Cooper talking about that game and the the actual effect of Garrett Crochet.
1: I don't know. I In some ways, when I look back on him, maybe just, this- this had to be decided earlier. This didn't, happen. this didn't happen like two days before they told me. I, that couldn't have been the case. But I, I don't look at it that way. But what I will tell you, I will talk about this. I don't even think about what you just said. The part that I think about in what you, you, you added in there was, if Crochet doesn't get hurt yeah. and we don't have to take him out, we win that game, we move on to the next game. That I believe in my heart and soul but an injury to a young kid who we can't mess with. If he's able to go out there and give us two more innings, which was, he was allowed to do that day. You know, his, his work limit that day would have been at least two more. Well, that, that, you know, that when that happened, uh, you know, we had to look to some other guys that we weren't quite planning on. It didn't, we had to piece the game together differently.
2: All right. So that, that's Don Cooper, and I think the beginning part of that question had to do with, you know, would things have been different for you? And, and Cooper revealed in that interview that he was, in fact, fired by the White Sox, that I think that the Sox gave him the courtesy of saying he's resigning, or moving on, or whatever, however they worded I can't even remember how they worded it. But he said, you know, that's a bunch of BS. I was fired. And then it gets into, what would Ricky— Did it have to do with this game that Ricky Renteria and essentially Don Cooper were both given their walking papers after this game? And and there was I mean, there's a lot to it, man. That's intense when you use nine pitchers and you had the things that you had And, and Sox fans were outraged by some of it. But let me take you to the I don't think I don't think Cooper lost his job because of this game. And if he did, it's outrageous to me. Let me take you to the fourth inning of this game because this is this is where it's all at for me. In the Oakland fourth inning of that game, Sean Murphy hits the two-run homer against Cody Hoyer. Three-two White Sox have the lead. Sox had a 3-0 lead in this game. And here it is. Carlos Rodon enters the game. He walks La Stella. Marcus Semien doubled. And then they walk Pinder intentionally and then and then we're on to Matt Foster who just starts walking guys with the bases loaded eventually Oakland takes a fourth which had to really have been the most painful part for White Sox fans to watch two guys walked in by Matt Foster another guy like Cody Hoyer who was very dependable during the regular season eventually Pinder gets the the two-run hit against Evan Marshall another dude who was terrific during the season why was Carlos Rodon part of that and are you telling me that, that Rick Hahn didn't sign off on that? that oh, and so yeah, let me tell you. And, and if he didn't, it it was irresponsible. I was to say that I put more blame on Rick Hahn about the organization of that game than I do Ricky Renteria or Don Cooper. If he didn't sign off on all that, the nine pitchers, the plan that they had, then shame on him because... On September 24th at Cleveland, week before the playoffs, right? Six days? Seven days? The Sox are playing a game against Cleveland, at Cleveland. And you're going to remember this too, Sox fans. You're going to palpitate. The Sox were up four in the seventh inning. Carlos Rodon enters in high leverage relief, just like the Oakland game. And he gives up a two-run single to Hernandez. And then that deadly RBI double to Jose Ramirez, Poof, 5-4 Cleveland had the lead at that at that time. And it was like, okay, we tried this with Rodon out of the bullpen. It's not working. Something's not right. Whether he's injured again or he has just lost his effectiveness. You know, okay, we tried it. And I think he was just coming off an injury, too. Or maybe that was a different game. They might get my games mixed up. But nonetheless, you, you knew that. You had the intel a week before, and you still allowed him to come in in the most important game of the season, Game 3 against the Oakland A's. And, I mean, from the beginning of the year, Carlos Rodon did not have it for whatever reason, as great of a guy as he is, and all of that stuff. To me, that game, that, that was a mistake by Rick Hahn or whoever makes those decisions on allowing allowing that guy to be in that game. So... If if that if that's why that was the maybe it was more of a last straw but that shouldn't have factored in man that that I always say I blame management upper management more for that loss than I do anything Ricky Renteria did that day or anything Don Cooper did that day now I will say this about Don Cooper because one of the things that that he was doing throughout the interview was being very open it was awesome you know lamenting the fact that. He basically was saying it and repeated it in different versions that he cared more for the White Sox than they did about him or else they wouldn't have let him go. He revealed that or said that he was fired, all that kind of stuff. And I get his hurt. I understand. But I will now I will now give a little bit of credit to the the White Sox in this one, because he lasted 19 years and and. What 30 in the organization altogether, but 19 years as a big league pitching coach. That's unheard of, man. To be a pitching coach that long, to be a manager that long, to have any position of authority really in sports. like So while I have sympathy for anybody who loses their job, and especially the, the, the human being in Cooper that was coming out there, he, I don't think he was, on the overall scale, Don Cooper – was well-protected through many managers by a manager, because it couldn't have been every single manager that was like, yeah, I got to have Cooper. I think that probably came from above some of those managers. So Cooper was given every opportunity to succeed, and he did, largely, in a lot of cases. I mean, 05, man, that was masterful, what he did with that White Sox pitching staff and what they did. I mean, that that's why they won the World Series, because of their starting pitching. It was incredible, and... You know Cooper could be definitely be given credit for turning a lot of these guys around, but he got 19 years, so he wasn't done dirty by the White Sox. I always make the comparison too to to Lovey Smith of the Bears when he was on his way out, and it was a 10 and 6 season in his last year. Although if you watched that year, it didn't feel like a 10 and 6 season, and people thought, oh, "How could you do this for Lovey Smith?" Lovey Smith got nine years. That's a long time as a head coach in the National Football League. Like nine years. And he had received raises. He had received power. He had been given every single opportunity. So that, that's kind of the way I evaluate organizations and what they do with management or players. Did they give them every single opportunity to be great and to be at their jobs? And they, with, with Cooper, I definitely think they did. And the White Sox and with the Bears, I think they did the same thing with Lovey Smith. They gave him every opportunity to succeed, power, money, all that kind of you know influence the the whole thing, but but yeah, so that's where I am with with Don. The, so many things you know, like were sparked during that interview, and just the greatness of the interview. But then I, I just got to thinking too about that game against Oakland and how it to me that was that had to have been a better assembly of. Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and Ricky Renteria and Don Cooper. And don't blame the guys on the field because you're the one who allowed them to use those players, even though we saw Carlos Rodon fail a week prior to that particular game. The White Sox on the field yesterday lost to the Angels 6-5. to Hey, 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 Luis Robert, home run against Shohei Otani. And then he's always there. He's always there. The one constant ray with the White Sox, Larry Garcia. Larry Garcia is always there. He hit a home run. Tim Anderson was two for three yesterday for the the Chicago White Sox in their game. Um, I guess I'm doing my, my spring training review. The Cubs lost to the Royals 10-2 yesterday. It's not going... Ever since I said that Albert should they should just give him the starting job and never mind the the Alec Mills competition for the fifth starter, he's been bad. (laughs) Alzelay yesterday, one and two-thirds, allowed three runs on three hits, a homer to Jorge Soler, and now, I love spring training ERAs, a 15.75 ERA. And the Cubs have a game today right here on the score against their old buddy, Joe Madden. Cubs and the Angels today... Three, make that 2.55 is when the broadcast will begin on the score. 3 o'clock is when the play-by-play will begin with Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer and Zach Zaman. So something to look forward to. And then we're double barrel tonight because we do have the Bulls hosting Toronto at 7.45. We're going to get into the Bulls a little bit later on. Again, we're still trying to figure out what the Grobber situation is. He is going to be on with us, yes, at 11.40. And I definitely want you to hear... More of the Don Cooper interview because it is one of the best interviews we've had on the Score um, in the last year or so, and there's been a ton of good ones. Mark Rody here with you until noon on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.
1: Miss Rosen is not as good a boss if he don't say, "Wait a minute, I gotta get this guy on doing something. I gotta start my next career. It seems I need a, it seems I need a job, guys. You know, you're, it Coop. Seems I'm, you're I'm hired. Uh, It seems I'm open for a job, and let's go right out right now and tell everybody that Mitch Rosen can't be as smart as I think he is and as good a boss as I think he is if he's not contemplating hiring me. (laughs) All
2: right, man. If we could get a weekly segment on the score with any of our shows and just have him talking to Cubs and Sox, I'd love to hear him, like, Talk about the Cubs and Arietta. Let me tell you about Arietta and Hendricks and <laughs> this Alzali. Oh, he, come on. You- Has there ever been a more score guy than Don Cooper? If Don Cooper would, if, you know, if Mitch Rosen is smart and he would hire the guy, then we'd all be in good shape.
1: I'm an animal guy. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I was lucky enough to be part of that particular interview. I was sitting in for, let me see, Dan McNeil. I think that was the manifestation. And uh, doing the show with Matt Spiegel. And Coop was at his home in Tennessee. And there were birds chirping and animals all over the place. And we ended up talking about animals for about 20 minutes with, with Don Cooper, the former White Sox pitching coach. Some great. Text messages here, 312-644-6767. If you want to text or call, always time for a call. Breaking phone calls, as we call them on Saturdays with uh, Steve Rosenblum. But anyway, uh, from the 708, Grody, (laughs) you know Grobber still has to manually set his clocks back and forth. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. So so that's why Grobber has pushed me back until 1140, because there was a problem with the clocks at at the old Grobber household. So, yeah, okay, that could be it. See, I knew there'd be a, a, a great story in that regard. Um, some of the other text messages, because I was talking about how I blame Rick Hahn and upper management more for that Game 3 in Oakland than I do anything anybody that was on the field that day, because he's the one that allowed, signed off on Carlos Rodon being a high-leverage reliever, even though a week before in Cleveland he had failed in that regard and looked bad doing it. Um, from the 3 sox fell from first to seventh in one week of course they all needed firing yeah I'm not arguing against the idea that the white sox moved on from Ricky Renterie or Don Cooper I made I think I stated my case pretty well that they gave him 19 years and maybe it was time to move on and maybe th- there are things that they could upgrade and Ethan Katz the the Bionic man and all that kind of stuff so I totally get it. But it can't be the reason, that game can't be the reason why they they were let go. Uh, 815, Don Cooper needed to go after last year he completely checked out. Um, let's see here. He talked, some texture was talking about some of the regression of some of the current pitchers, but you could also talk about the, the progression of those guys. You know, especially somebody like Lucas Giolito, who I know got a lot of his help and his tips from the current pitching coach, Ethan Katz. Uh, from the 708, they should have known Rodon wanted no part of the bullpen. Leave him off the playoff roster. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know why he was on the playoff roster, available to the White Sox that day, and the, the all hands-on deck mentality, but you know, if one of your hands is hurting or no good, then you don't want him you definitely don't want him on the deck. Uh, from the eight four seven, Cooper spent eighteen years as Kenny Williams' spy in the Sox clubhouse. I'm not going to cry over him finally losing his job. Um, I don't know that to be the case, but he did last, man. I mean, I say this, like, the most impressive thing that that coaches can do in sports is is manage to stick around through multiple regimes. Like, it's rare, and that is a trick that, that Don Cooper completely turned and made a reality, so... Yeah, I mean I, I hope I hope Don Cooper comes and works at the score. That would be an absolute blast. So it's on you. It's on you, Mitch Rosen. The Blackhawks yesterday. Last what a dud. Last night was for lack of a better way to describe the Blackhawks yesterday, they were boring. Boring. Four two loss to the, the the Joel Quinville, Florida Panthers. The hard working Brandon Hagel did get a goal um and on an odd man rush but this game looked way too much like that final remember when the Blackhawks played the three games in 4 days against Tampa Bay that final game they had against Tampa Bay where they lost 6 to 3 and they looked really good they had a 3 nothing lead and then all of a sudden Tampa Bay scored <clears throat> excuse me four goals in the second period last night the Blackhawks get that one nothing lead and then the Hawks and Kevin Lankin in this case Allowed three goals in the second period, and and they ended up looking bad in the game. The Hawks have lost three out of four. The greatest goalie name in, I, I'm going to say it, in hockey history, though, plays for the Florida Panthers, and that's Sergei Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky, he had 30 saves last night for the, for the Florida Panthers. So the Blackhawks, kind of a little bit like the Chicago Bulls, sliding just a touch and there's this weird thing with both of those teams where they've overachieved this year. So there's always that, uh-oh, when's it gonna when's it when are they gonna both turn back into pumpkins and it starts to slide down again? Where I'm always watching out for that. And that said, let's talk about the Bulls next. Because Stacey King said a couple of really interesting things. One about Wendell Carter Jr., and then we're gonna We're going to talk about Dragic. That is Stacey King's favorite topic. It's coming up next. It's Mark Grody on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score.